Hey everybody, welcome to Drive Through Review 492. Today we're going to take a look at Kingdom Death Monster. Uh, this box is huge, it's gigantic. Uh, I have everything that comes with the game uh, built and assembled. It comes with miniatures that you have to assemble and paint. I've got everything in the box except for this fella. So I'm not going to pick up the box, but I'll show you this fella here. He's a big old giant, uh, some kind of bird thing there. And uh, you can see there's a little bit of detail on the base and he's got all kinds of craziness there and you know on the wings and all kinds of cool stuff like that. So he comes in there. But to give you a sense of the scale of the box, I mean I could pick it up and hold it but it would just, you'd have a giant black screen. So we have here the Rebellion box, which maybe some people are familiar with. This is a really big box, you know, on its own, but kind of dwarfed by Kingdom Death. And then also, uh, just one other example, is one of the uh, Shadows of Brimstone uh, base sets. A little bit more of a comparable game, but, you know, also a smaller box. Now, uh, let's talk a little bit about what this game really is, because it could be, and I expect, that some folks watching will know what this is and will be kind of anticipating the review a little bit. I've kind of teased it over the last several weeks. Um, I have had a buddy put together uh, these miniatures and paint them. I did exchange some games for that <laughs> because it came with a lot and honestly putting all the pieces together for Shadows of Brimstone sort of broke me on putting together miniatures. Uh, so there's several miniatures you got to put together. And uh, so I've been kind of teasing those over the last few weeks and then kind of slowly playing some of the different scenarios in the game. But a lot of people aren't gonna know what this is because this is a $400 a game. And, uh, and it had a Kickstarter, I believe last year that was successful, maybe the year before, and this came out last year. Um, so it's a very different kind of game. It's a very bleak game in a lot of ways. I'll talk more about that in the review. But I do wanna give a little bit of a preface, hopefully anybody that will get caught off guard is watching this part. I could probably label this not safe for work, the video, because there's some imagery that is definitely uh, NC-17. Let's say the, the box itself has a mature rating on the box, 17 plus. Uh, so you can see it's a very stark black box. This here is the Watcher character, which I'll show you there's a miniature of this guy um, in the game. But then on the back of the box here, we have this crazy kind of, uh, Oh, it's upside down, but it doesn't really matter. This sort of pit of people that are in here, and you can see it's MA 17 plus, plays one to four players. Though so you could play it with five and six. There are rules to play it with five and six. Uh, so let's just jump into the components of the game and everything, and I'll kind of tell you about it uh, as I go through it. And uh, you can see some, <laughs> some of the darkness that is going to be uh, available for you to participate in. So let's jump in. Okay, before we jump into the box, I just want to give you another little highlight on the miniatures. Again, you do have to assemble these yourself. Uh, these are some of the monsters and nemeses that you're going to encounter uh, in the game. You're going to go on these various hunts to try to hunt some of these down. Some of these will hunt you down, and you're going to re gather resources and such from uh, these different encounters, and these are going to trigger different events in the game, possibly. Uh, you've got uh, this fella here. You've got the Watcher himself. Uh, who is really cool, but you can kind of see how difficult that might be to actually put together. You've got these different lanterns and stuff. I mean, it looks really cool. And again, uh, my friend Ben uh, Waxman there, he painted these. Uh, here's the first guy you're going to encounter right out of the gate, and this is the lion here. Uh, these miniatures, I should say, they're a little bit on kind of the light side. Uh, 
They're not as hefty as like a Shadows of Brimstone or Blood Rage or other board game miniature, like a Fancy Flight miniature. They're not going to be that big hunk of plastic. So they're going to be delicate. You do want to be careful packing them away. But I do think, this is probably my favorite example, is this is the Butcher here. They have a good amount of detail in here. So if you're into painting, you can really get in there and get into some of the finer details of the... Uh, of the miniature itself there and this is this is my favorite example because he's just he's kind of a mess you know he's kind of got a lot of garbage and lanterns and just sort of pieced together armor and stuff on him uh, and this guy's this guy's pretty interesting so this is kind of a, a deer type looking guy and then he has this open cavity there so you can kind of see this sort of darkness and and brutality and gore uh, and that's nothing really compared to some of the artwork I'm going to show you. So, uh, again, forewarned that you might see something kind of disturbing. Don't watch this with kids if you don't want. Uh, so that's the bad guy uh, miniatures. Let's take a look at some of the heroes. Okay, so these are the four sort of main heroes in the game. You've got two uh, men figures and two women figures here. And the game always starts off the same. It's basically four, the game calls it survivors, that start off in this nightmarish hellscape of darkness where they are surrounded by uh, you know, these different faces and that are actually stone. And they have to deal immediately with this lion who's trying to kill all of them. And so the players themselves take on the roles of one of the four uh, different heroes here or survivors. Uh, no matter the player count, you're going to be playing with four survivors, unless you're playing with more. There's rules for more. You're going to be controlling each of these, and then from that point, after you have uh, hopefully survived the lion encounter, then you're going to sort of start to form your own little settlement. So it's almost like a civilization game in a way, where you're starting off in this sort of weird, nightmarish, tribal kind of thing, and then moving along slowly and interacting with this crazy environment. And then as you go along, you're going to start to acquire gear, and you're going to start outfitting your different characters with gear. Now you can see here, here are some of the player characters sort of built customly. So you can take and customize how you want these uh, folks to look as you kind of play the game. You can just, if you want, start the game off with building the four sort of beginner survivor miniatures that are mostly naked with loincloths, and then you could build the lion miniature. And then you can just go from there and start playing the first couple of scenarios. Uh, and then as you go along and start to acquire more gear, you can build these maybe to customize your favorite hero, which might be a mistake, which I'll talk about in a minute. But you can really kind of mix and match here. So this guy here is very, very cool looking, I think. He's got this huge, ridiculous sword. But then look at that shield. That's awesome. Look at that. So that's really cool there. Uh, you know, you've got just a variety of different things here. Let's take a look at, uh, I don't know, this guy here. He's kind of cool. He's got uh, sort of, uh, you know, sort of lion mane type of thing there, possibly, with spears. There's a lots of different varieties of weapons and things. And then you've got this gal here. She's a little bit more advanced. She's got some more sophisticated armor and weapons and a nice little kind of magic helm there, probably and all that kind of stuff. So you can take and just kind of build these as you wish. So that's a real kind of, you know, quote unquote hobby aspect uh, to this game. This game has a lot of that where you really kind of get into and sort of break down, uh, you know, what you're, what's in a traditional board game, you kind of go to that borderline miniatures game where you're really customizing it to yourself and you're really investing yourself kind of in the process of the game itself, the process of working through the campaign and working through the characters. Uh, I'll talk more about that in a minute, but uh, so this is a cool aspect of the game. And this is not all of the different uh, 
possible configurations. I still got a couple of uh, models I'm not showing you, and I, th I think I didn't show you two of the bad guys. So there's a few more miniatures than what I've actually shown you uh, so far. So here's kind of a close-up of, again, the symbol for the Watcher again, and this is kind of the main bad character uh, in the game here. So we're gonna crack open this box now, and we'll take a little peek here. And as I said, I have a bunch of this sort of garbage in here. I just kind of stuffed it back in here. But again, you wanna be careful with the miniatures and then store them in these different plastics uh, if you're gonna put them in the box or put them somewhere else because they are a little bit delicate. So here we can see the inside of the box. We've got some different boards and things which I'll show you in a minute. But I just wanna give you a sense of the insert itself. Uh, here you can see you'll be making a good use of these pads here. Uh, different character sheets there. Uh, mainly what you want to focus on is the settlement sheet here. Here you're going to track the history. It's a double-sided thing. This is going to be your kind of main game log here. Uh, the, these characters are going to come and go. They're going to die uh, left and right, uh, but these are good for maintaining, uh, you know, obviously the characters in the game. Here is a really crazy rule book, which I'll show you more detail in a minute. But then you have all of this organization here, and you can see you've got a fair amount of open space. And this is for so, you know, some expansion material and so on, but it's also a way to kind of organize uh, the cards that you need to you know, restart your game and pick up very quickly, access the different tokens that you're gonna need. You might get little modifiers here that are gonna add or subtract a movement and so on like that. And so you've got a very well organized space, you know, spot for dice and everything. Uh, but I just wanted to give you sh a show of this and it makes it everything easy to really pick up and set up. And so there's a lot going on in the game, but it's not really ever overwhelming in my opinion, based on how everything is organized. So like I said, let's just take a quick look at the rule book and this will really give you a good sense of the game as you kind of move along. And this is actually how the rules introduce you to the game. We're just gonna start turning here. Gives you a little bit about the contents and the organization and everything like that. Uh, the basic overall just the game, but then it just starts in like this. This is the rules. It's also the story and the rules. So you can say once upon a time there was a place of carved stone faces, a man with a lantern lay sleeping, a dreamless sleep. The man knew nothing. And we turn the page and it says one day the man woke up. He rubbed the dried ink caked over his eyes and opened them. Around him he saw other people stirring and beyond a horizon of unbroken darkness and so on, so they wake up, he meets somebody, we go to the next thing here, this lion shows up, and then they have a fight with the lion, the lion kills some people, and then they kind of fight back, you can see he reaches for one of the, the stone faces there. And this is, this is really how the rules just start here. And they jump you right in to the battle with the four survivors, the four heroes, with the lion, and then they jump right into the rules here and you can see how to set up here. So I got this, them around the table and so on. It says, okay, go ahead and build these miniatures. And then here's how combat works. And this is really, well, there's, the game is kind of broken up into three parts. The combat, I'll just kind of spoil here, is definitely my favorite part of the game. So it does a really good job of kind of walking you through and set how to set up the arena or the, the landscape here and the different decks that are gonna be involved. There's a deck of white lion cards. There's multiple decks for the white lion and then how movement works and so on. It kind of walks you through a round of combat, you know, controlling the monster, controlling the different heroes and so on. And then it just tells you, okay, go ahead and finish out the combat with what you started. There are some more reference sections a little bit later on. I did have to re uh, refer to those 
I think once in the first battle to say, okay, this isn't really clear. And it did mention it in the, the main sort of section on how to do a showdown, which is what this is it's called the showdown phase. And then once you're victorious, it's going to step you in to actually creating your settlement. You can see here's the board here and I'll just grab it like so. And you have this sort of long board here that you're going to lay out on the table and it shows you how to walk through building your settlement. You're going to go ahead and create that here. You're going to give it a name. You know, you're going to check off a couple of things. You're going to check off the first death. If anybody died in that first adventure, you might trigger some of these different story encounters here. So returning survivors is a story encounter as well. And so it's going to tell you how to do that and how to set up your gear and everything. So the rules really kind of walk you through up until this point. And then you can get into the basics of the survivor. So it's a really well done rule book. There's a couple of unclear sort of instances that I've had over the several games I've played of this. And I've talked to some buddies that have played it and it's like, yeah, one or two things are kind of unclear, but you could go to BGG and then work it out. But the gist of it is, you know, we had no problems, you know, playing the game and getting started at all. Then it ta talks to you a little bit about how the monsters are broken down. And you can kind of see here, they have these sort of color coded edges here. So it makes it easy to kind of flip through to get to a certain section as well. And there's also a glossary. It's not an index, but it is a glossary. So that's a kind of a good refresher of like, what is that term, you know? So you can go there and then you, you have a good idea where to go look it up anyway, because everything is pretty well organized. And there's always very nice illustrations in here. Uh, the actual rules is about a hundred pages, but you can see it's highly illustrated, you know, large sort of margins and typeface. So it's not a ton to get into and it is clear and easy to read. You know, the verbiage is pretty good. So anyway, that's kind of the rules. Now, what's going to happen before I get into combat is you're going to have these little triggers here of stories. A lot of times I just want to show you that before I break away from the rule book. So you may have an action. This is a story event bold and something may trigger that. And it's always got a cool kind of different illustration and it might be something based on which phase it happens in, your role on a table. You know, if you played Shadows of Brimstone, that might be, you know, familiar to you. Like, okay, in town, you know, you're always like rolling against these different tables. Uh, there might be different things that are gonna kind of fork the story. Uh, you know, here, and here's just something where, you know, the survivors kind of learn to cook a little bit. So there's got some basic sort of like technology in a civilization sense. Uh, that's going to happen here you know endless screams this is this is always going to happen i think in the second or third the second year the second sort of round of the game and there's different things like that and it's really interesting here so um let's see here and then act, oh yeah then you can come down here to the back let's get down to here and back here you're going to find all the showdowns so if you ever fight the king's man whenever you set up the, his encounter you're going to kind of look at this and based off of it's a nemesis encounter or whatever, the setup will be a little bit different. It'll tell you which terrain cards to draw and set everything up. Here's the Phoenix here, the big bird. And so it'll tell you how to kind of hunt them down. There's a hunt phase and then there's actual setup phase, but it makes it really easy just to turn to a thing and set it up. And even if you wanted to, well, I'll talk more about that in the review, but anyway, that's how this kind of is. And then you kind of walk all the way through until maybe you get to the end of the game and i'll talk more about that in the review as well so and there's a cool little kind of interesting uh, comic here kind of black and white comic but that is a really really 
really well produced rule book and the game overall is very well produced okay so here's the main board and this is where you're going to have your first combat encounter with the lion as well as all the other combat encounters in the game now sometimes it may tell you to draw terrain so you've got some tall grass here so you might just kind of put this out somewhere or you might have a broken down column and it'll give you general guidelines but to a degree you can sometimes set this up yourself however you wish and there's different sizes so here's like a a fallen face and there's little tiny ones and stuff and sometimes depending on the scenario or the encounter you might actually interact with these different ways and there'd be different rules and there's cards for each of the different terrain types that you can kind of just lay out on the side of the board there now we'll go ahead and just we'll just put the watcher out here for fun they're usually going to start here in the middle and then you're going to have to set up your different survivors and we'll put some fun ones out with the different uh, armor that's on there we'll put four of these out and It'll tell you as well, like how far you have to be away. Sometimes you'll put them up on an edge or you'll do them kind of surrounding the creature. Okay, so we've got a little bit better view here. Now for each of these different uh, monsters, you're always gonna have at least here an AI deck and this is gonna kind of drive the monster attacks and reactions and things. And you're also going to have a hit location deck, an HL deck. And you can see I've set over here to the side of this little board. Uh, like, so that'll be off to the side. And when the monster takes their turn, they're going to take their turn first. You're going to flip the top AI card and then do what it says. And it's going to have various different reactions. And each of these AI decks is customized uh, towards uh, the different monster here. So you can see this is a lantern vortex. At the start of the monster term, all survivors in the void nexus suffer bash. So the void nexus is basically around the monster there. And then you perform the basic action, which is always indicated on this card here. Whoops. And so this is going to be the basic action. So it's kind of the default action for that particular monster. And it gives you a way to sort of order the targets and so on. And then you move a certain amount and then attack. And the other stats are back here. This will show you the movement and the toughness. In case of this case, he's got unlimited movement. So he can just move as far as he wants. Now, in addition to the player sheets, each player is going to have this sort of gear grid. And so I've just taken some sample gear. And you can see, okay, here he's got a cloth. Each character is going to start with a cloth and a stone shard, but this character still has their cloth. And it tells you, okay, you get one armor in that particular slot. So you can just put that anywhere on here. And then what we're going to do is we'll update here. You can see that's the waste slot, and you'll just mark that with a one. And maybe we'll put on the white lion coat here. This is something you can craft later. It gives you two armor in that sort of body slot. And you can see here, it has this little uh, square and then it has a special ability possibly. And so we're gonna put that on there. Now, the way these squares come into play is you can see this one has a little square down here. So if we lock that in, then we're gonna create a kind of affinity with those two pieces of gear. So if you look at this here, it means if it, once it locks in with the puzzle piece, this activates and makes this available. So certain gear that you're gonna have is gonna combo uh, very nice with each other. And this is a very easy way to sort of indicate that. And you might get other combos that'll like sort of count the number of total affinities that you have, and that will trigger even greater and greater uh, combos there. And then let's just throw this weapon on here, the King's Spear. And the first thing we can see with that is you can actually roll two dice in combat, that's your speed, and then you're gonna hit on a six plus. Now, if you're directly behind the miniature, you're actually hit on a five plus, you get a little bit of a bonus. And then each of those is gonna hit with a strength of three. I'll talk about that in a minute. Now let's take a look at a uh, combat example here. So let's pretend he just does his basic action. He's going to target for the survivor. No target, he'll do absorb, which would be this little action back here, which basically sends him to the center of the board and heals him up, and everybody else gets a minus one strength counter. But he's going to figure out a target. 
and he's going to do his attack. Now, sometimes there might be multiple targets to choose from. You'll put the priority target marker on whoever that actual target might be, but whoever concurrently has the monster controller, and this is going to pass left round by round, if they target their set themselves, they get plus one insanity. Now, that sounds like a bad thing, but it's actually a good thing. So each character here has got these different sort of armor stats. I showed you before with the waist and the body, you'll add stats there. Now insanity is like armor for your brain. So whenever you get targeted, if you can, you can choose yourself and you kind of want to, you're gonna build up a little bit of armor. I'll talk about how armor works in a minute, but that is how this works here. So then the monster's gonna attack and move, and what they're gonna do is they're gonna roll their speed. So if you look here, here's four speed, and that means you're gonna roll four D10s, like so. And the accuracy you saw in there was a two plus, so let's do that. So anything that's a two or higher, <laughs> which pretty much is every time you roll the dice, is gonna be a hit. So we'll take a look there. So we've got two, six, four, and five. And again, anything that's a two or higher is going to be a hit. And then in the case of the monster, you're gonna do five damage to uh, the target per hit. So the damage dice here are these. Uh, so I'm not gonna roll these a whole bunch of times, but let's just say we got you know four damage dice worth of thing on it. So we're gonna roll those. And these, you can see, match the symbols. You see there's the symbol for the waist and the symbol here for the body and the arm and so on and the head. So you're gonna take damage to these different areas. So if we're gonna look here, and you're gonna mark off damage to the air. So if we took damage to the head and we had armor, we'd erase a point of armor for each damage we had to the head. And then once you erase all the armor, you're gonna start taking uh, low level damage and then high level damage here, light and heavy damage. And so if you, you're good up until that point, and then once you take heavy damage, you're gonna to have to knock down your figure. And whenever you're knocked down, you can get knocked down for other reasons. The only thing you can do on your turn is just stand up. But if you take any damage beyond that, you can see here we have, let's say we took head damage or arm damage or body damage. If we erased all our armor, filled in these two blocks, and we took another body damage, then we're gonna roll on a damage table, on a severe injury table with the dice. So I apologize for this, but I'm just gonna kind of stick this up there. So you've got waist, legs, body, armor, head, and so on. And you're going to take damage. You're gonna roll a D10 and then figure out what actually happens and these actually might trigger like little story events and stuff of their own uh, sometimes based on kind of what's going on and you're going to actually a lot of times when you do this you take bleeding damage and you have a bunch of these little bleeding tokens here you can put it on your survivor or just put it on your character sheet anytime you get to five bleeding tokens usually then that's when the survivor is dead so possibly five or more severe injuries if you go you know you're just getting really hammered on like your arms are getting chopped off and all kinds of crazy stuff now there is a brain trauma table as well if you take certain kind of insanity damage and again the same with the brain here you're going to uh, you know decrease your insanity because so, you can get your insanity like really high so if I had 10 insanity uh, you can see actually if you have three or more then you're considered insane and there's other f effects that will trigger off of that but once you get this all the way down you can take kind of one hit and then you roll off on brain trauma and that is usually horrific and one of the things I don't like about the game uh, in this really equivalent is you roll a one or a two on the brain trauma dead instantly so that can be difficult but I think once you know that going in you're like okay I need to get some insanity so you kind of that's what I was talking about before if you're the monster controller you're like oh point at me point at me so I get the uh, the insanity in the brain armor so that's how the monster attacks work again you roll speed 
the number of dice, and then accuracy is the, the number minimum number you need. And then for each point of damage from those hits, you roll X number of location dice. Now the humans are similar. We have here again, I'll show you the king spear, the speed of a two. So I roll two dice. I need to roll a six plus. You can see that again there. And again, if he was directly behind me, each of the enemies has a blind spot and they'll show you that on the, uh, on the showdown layout. Then you actually get a bonus of that. But we actually rolled here a lantern and this is actually a 10. A lantern's always a hit and a one's always a miss as well. I should have mentioned that. But let's say in this case, we got one hit. So we rolled a four and a 10 and we need to roll a six plus in this case. So in that case, we're gonna do three strength worth of damage, but we don't actually hit the thing yet. So we're actually gonna draw a card off of the hit location deck here. I'll show you a couple examples here. Now let's look at this one here. So let's say we did two hits of damage. So that means we would flip two hit location cards and then we can roll against each of these hits. So you've gotten through, you've done a hit, but you're not really sure the outcome of the hit. Now sometimes you'll have traps and things inside of this deck that'll actually sort of cancel all your hits. Uh, but let's, for argument's sake, for explanation, we got two hits in this case. And let's say we're going to roll off on this one first. So we're gonna roll and add the roll to our strength. Remember we had a strength of three now on the spear itself. And we might have other strength modifiers or, or, or anti-modifiers as well. We're gonna roll off on that. And if we fail, this is going to happen. So all survivors in the void nexus in this sort of area around the monster suffer one damage to all hit locations. But if you get a critical wound, a lot of times if you roll a lantern again, when you go to try to apply damage, you get something really cool. And sometimes you might get like little bonus items to take home with you because you might like carve off a, a limb or something and take it with you or get like a claw from it. And then what you'll do is you'll take the top card of the AI deck that you've built up. And I should have mentioned you actually don't use all these cards. Uh, it will tell you to customize certain types of cards. You can see there's little categories of cards, S, B, and so on up here in the corner like that. So you'll make the deck, but whenever you take damage, you just draw the top card off without looking at it and put it into the discard pile, which is really neat because it's kind of like you're, you're minimizing all the possible you know capabilities of the creature. Uh, but that's whether you get a, critical or not, then you'll do this damage. Now here you can see it has a trigger. If you actually do wound it, then this will happen as a trigger. And then in this case, it'll only happen if you fail the wound as well. So sometimes you're like, uh, do I really want to wound it? You know, cause it might be a bad thing or it might just be always a reflex and so on. So this is a kind of a neat system in terms of getting hits and then applying the damage and having different outcomes based on, you know, kind of how you actually physically damage it and where you damage it and so on. And likewise with yourself as well, with the different, uh, you know, areas here. Now, if you complete an encounter, you're going to get some possibly resources. Now these are basic resources and there are resources that are specific to each of the creatures. And these are gonna come back with you to the settlement and they're gonna be used in crafting obviously different armor and weapons and all kinds of goodies and so on. But this is really what you're trying to go after for a good portion of the game is get these resources. So that was the combat. Now the other phase I haven't talked about is the hunt phase. Now the game's typically broken into sessions where you probably will go on a hunt, 
you'll have a combat encounter, you'll go back and do some kind of bookkeeping and do, that, do uh, the settlement phase and then kind of clean up. And each of those is gonna take about an hour, maybe a little bit more or less, depending on how things go. Uh, but the first thing you'll probably do when you sit down is do this hunt phase. Now you're gonna look in the book and look at what type of creature you're gonna hunt or maybe you're having a nemesis encounter, which is a little bit different and you won't actually use this hunt board. Uh, the game is gonna tell you how to shuffle up these hunt cards. Now here we have a screaming antelope hunt card and there's also basic hunt cards and it's going to tell you based on which level of creature you're hunting like where to put this so maybe we'll put that there and we'll have two kind of hunt cards specific to the antelope and then maybe a generic one and so on and maybe he's a little bit further down now as you sort of move through you're going to kind of take turns as the the player and say okay i'm this player we're going to move in and we're going to resolve this hunt here and we're going to do whatever it says and that might move us up and down. It may move the antelope up and down. It's possible to get to the very end of this here where you have kind of a little bit of starvation. Like, you know, you basically didn't find the creature and you know, then you've got to lose some resources and so on. You might have, you might actually die on the hunt and so on. Now, some of the spots where you have kind of a generic hunt, you're going to flip open this card or this board and we find it here. You're going to roll on the hunt table and it's a D100. So there's just tons of encounters, kind of like Tales of the Arabian Nights. And you're gonna take out one of these white die here, which will be the tens and the ones. So you're gonna roll here and you got a 20 there, two and a zero. And so you'll look up entry 20 and then you'll go through there. And I will warn you, similar to the brain trauma, there is one event that basically wipes out the entire party, which, you know, again, we'll talk about that in the review. But you go through and do these random events and stuff, and they may help you. Uh, it may the monster may ambush you, where it gets two turns in a row when you go into the combat phase. Uh, and again, the book will tell you how to set up the terrain when you move from the hunt phase into this. But the hunt phase is very simple; you just kind of move down this row of cards, dealing with the stuff as you come along, maybe making little decisions here and there. Now, when you get back after the encounter, you're going to flip over the hunt board there, and then you're going to walk through these different steps of the settlement phase. The rule book does a good job of this. You're going to come back. You're going to set up the settlement here. It's going to basically track down these years. These are basically different sessions that you've played. You can see you're going to play usually until this 25th encounter. It might actually happen a little bit earlier where you encounter the Watcher. You can keep playing after that. So basically after that, you kind of just survive for as long as you can before you ultimately die. I don't know that it's possible to get to... Uh, the 40th event, I'm sure that you can't. I mean, I, I haven't yet died out, but I'm sure plenty of people will die out before they even get to the watcher phase. Now you basically will lose the game once you run out of population. Uh, once you show up uh, with your four survivors or maybe less in the first encounter, you roll off on a table, then you'll add a certain number of population. And then as survivors die, you'll decrease the population you've recorded here, tear off a new sheet, and then you know, create a new survivor and so on and then give it whatever gear you have left over. You never lose the gear usually. Uh, you know, you can just pass that around. You know, you're a bunch of scavengers so you just take and get it. And so you'll do that, reduce the population by one and keep going until you run out of survivors or until you get to the end of the game. Now other things on here to note are, let's see, you will have endeavors. You can see this symbol here. You're gonna get endeavors equal to the number of return survivors. And then you can use those as sort of like action points to build things. Now you might need also to get uh, these resources and things to build. But the first thing that's gonna happen in the game is you're gonna get this lantern horde. And this allows you to do a couple of things. You can do this innovation, which I'll talk about in a minute. But you can see you can use these action points to actually build kind of like these little shops. Uh, here's an, So you can build the bonesmith, right? 
So you, for that action, you can build the bonesmith. And now if I have a bone, I can go and get a bone dagger, bone blade. And these are again, uh, categorized very nicely. I showed you the insert. So you just go grab the bonesmith deck and search through there and check out the stats on the stuff. Uh, some of these will get unlocked later as you get more stuff, but you can also kind of upgrade this into a weapon crafter. Uh, here's another one, a skinnery. This is kind of your rawhide armor. So you just need hide and stuff. Uh, the first time, or probably the second time actually, you kill the uh, lion, you'll get this, and it's kind of like lion-specific gear and so on. Uh, here's an organ grinder and so on like that. So there's, you can kind of upgrade these and spend your, your endeavors there. And you may get endeavors in other different ways. Then you're gonna draw a settlement event. And it's this large deck of cards here. And these are basically like little stories and stuff. And you're always gonna shuffle these up uh, every time. So you may draw uh, the same one twice, like maybe murder, which would suck. But uh, you know, you have all kinds of different things and very kind of different things that are sort of randomly happen to uh, your set settlement. And you get to make some choices on it. And then some of these might actually trigger some of the different story events. So let's talk a little bit more about that. Now, like I said, as you kind of move through here, you're gonna, you know, the first time you play, you're gonna do this Returning Survivors event, then the Endless Screams, and then like the first time you have a death. First time a death is count as updated, so that could be the very first game or whatever. You're gonna do principal death, and you can see there's these principles here, and that's allow you to actually make choices for how your civilization is going to operate and what bonuses you might get. So you might have a birth at some point and you've got to make a choice on that first birth and so on. And this is really going to make up your, you know, how evil or slash good your civilization or your little group is going to be. Uh, so you're going to unlock these little different stories here and you might do it in the different decks as well. Now, the last thing I want to talk about is the innovation deck. And you're going to send all these cards out. You put the locations here and innovations and stuff up there and leave them the deck shuffled. And there's easy storage in the box. The first thing you're going to do is get language here. And it's going to increase your survival limit. I didn't talk about survival yet, but I will in a second. And this is going to give you to add some of these uh, innovation cards. And so for an endeavor, remember you start off with a lantern horn, you can do this innovate. So you spend a bone, an organ, and a hide and spend an endeavor. You draw two cards off your innovation deck and then you can choose you know, more kind of characteristics of your settlement. Uh, and this is really a neat part of the game too, probably my second favorite thing <laughs> to the uh, actual combat. Now the survival, I didn't talk about that, um, mostly because I'm brain dead, but let's look at survival. So. Survival is something you'll record. Now, when you first name your survival, you get one survival. So in addition to ticking off armor, you can also tick off survival. Now, as you go along, you're gonna get more and more survival for your different characters. And so the first thing you should do before you actually take damage, maybe, maybe, is actually uh, use this dodge capability there. And that means you can spend a survival to eat up a damage. But as you go along, you can get these new abilities and you like encourage, it will allow uh, players to encourage somebody else that's knocked down and they can rise up on their turn, uh, you know, to stand up so they don't have to do it on their turn. So you get these cool little things. And there's a, lot, there's a bunch of other stuff too. I mean, there's weapon proficiencies that you can get and so, if you have different combos of weapons, you know, like where's this, there's a cool one here. Let me find it. With these different kind of lion claws there, you can kind of dual weed those. There's armor sets and stuff. So if you played like an RPG on the computer and so on, you can combine armor and, uh, you know, make a better combo based on what armor you get. And there's different fighting styles and disorders and all kinds of crazy stuff that you can get as well.
that's pretty much uh, most of the game. Okay, so that is Kingdom Death Monster. Let's get the couple of negative things out of the way first. Now, I mentioned a little bit of this in the review or the walkthrough part of it, and the main example for me is when you roll on the brain trauma table, if you roll a one or two, then your guy instantly dies. No, there's no like, there's no saving, it's gone. So you may have developed a character that has gone along and they've built up their courage and all this kind of good stuff. They get really good gear and they've leveled up. And one thing I didn't mention is like when you level up, you level, you mark off this sort of age track, which will trigger different things. And so eventually your character is going to retire or die of old age, basically. Um, but you might have leveled them up really high and then all of a sudden, oh, randomly dead because you rolled a one. Now, it's not the end of the world because there, there are some things you can do to kind of work around that, but you could get that hunt event, obviously, that kills all, your whole party. Or like there's the murder settlement event that your most insane character kills uh, your most leveled up character, which happened to me. <laughs> um, and so you've got to kind of deal with that a little bit. Now here's where I kind of come down on maybe viewing that in a sort of a negative way is the game is brutal enough as it is. People are going to kind of die over the course of natural events in combat, you know, by a series of bad rolls, which I can deal with, you know, or just different things are going to happen. They're going to slowly, you know, whittle away their insanity and, you know, different things are going to happen like that. So the kind of like or you can die like in childbirth. I was talking to a friend of mine, uh, Matt Evans, who does board game replay. They've done a series of videos on this, actually. We talked a little bit about it the other day. They had a guy that was very leveled up, and it was a female character he was playing, and she died in childbirth because he rolled a one and a two. So, you know, and, and that was pretty harsh because he got really attached to his character. Now, that leads me into the in, one of the more interesting parts of the game is that you cannot get attached to a specific character in this game, and you really should not. And that's something you'll probably learn very quickly, is you're really doing things for kind of the benefit of the settlement as a whole, and not necessarily for a specific character. So I think, you know, we're kind of trained in a way to be attached to a character, going all the way back to D&D. I roll up my character, level one, level two, all the way to level 20. If they die a permanent death, then that's a very traumatic thing, and I've got to restart, and maybe we just start a new campaign, you know, whatever. This is not the case. People are going to be dying left and right. So you've got to get used to that. You've got to know that. And so it's not really about that. It's more, and it is well presented in this way, where you want to tell the story of how this person actually died. And it can be a very sort of spectacular, you know, traumatic death. And that makes it kind of interesting to get into. And it kind of adds to the bleakness, which I'll talk about. But just to have that kind of somewhat occasional kind of thing where it's like, that just felt really random. You know, on the one hand, it, it fits the theme. It's really brutal and it's kind of a gut check kind of thing. So it's not like a deal breaker, really close to a deal breaker for me at all. But that it does kind of rub me just a little bit wrong in that way. But you could easily just play without, like, okay, we just take out the rolling in one or two. That's a re-roll on the brain trauma. And if we roll that event in the hunt table, we re-roll. And you still might die, but it'll just be, like, a little bit more interesting than, like, oh, you're dead. Uh, and so that's it. I've kind of harped on that a little bit, but it's my second now negative point of view. Is this is going to be the last thing. And that is there's, like sort of, you can feel like there's just a couple of shortcuts. And I've played through uh, several scenarios and stuff. There's a couple of things that are just like, uh, you know, like the characters have a dream and it's, there's like a couple of silly things in there. And then the hunt table, it's like a little bit silly. It's like, 
it just is, they could have spent like just a little bit more time on some of those elements instead of going, oh, you know, big butts or, or you know, you ran into this thing. It just, and it's not like it's ubiquitous or throughout most of the game. It's just a couple of spots and you're like, oh, that's just doesn't fit. You know, it just kind of takes me out of the immersion of it where this kind of feels like a little bit silly, you know, not necessarily juvenile, but really kind of approaching juvenile, which is, you know, it's hard to, I think with this theme, obviously it, it does, I mean, from a certain perspective, you could see it bordering on juvenile as a whole because it's just so dark, you know. Uh, I mean, that's, you know, take that's you're, you're going to make up your mind already based on that. But if you can get into the darkness of it, um, there's stuff that still kind of feels a little bit juvenile, but it's not ubiquitous. This one should show, just let you know that it's there. Now, most of the stuff, now I'm going to get the good stuff, is going to be very interesting interactions between sort of the stuff that happens to your characters in combat, to the settlement as a whole, and like certain actions will trigger other story events, which makes you fill in this bubble, which triggers this other story event. And it really weaves itself kind of an interesting narrative a lot of the time. And if you can get kind of past the overall brutality of it and let the kind of thing kind of unravel before you um, and really kind of approach it, like I said, from a settlement perspective, then you're really going to be kind of like get really immersed in this just awful nightmarish kind of world. Now, the other part um, that I'm going to talk about is the combat. Obviously, the combat is fantastic. I love the combat in this game. Just the way that you put the gear together, the way the different AI decks and the hit location decks, they're very personalized for each of the different monsters. You know, they feel very dramatic and you know and you're like oh wow you know he's gonna pull off this weird reversal combo and rip my leg off or I'm gonna hack its leg off and you just get these really cool moments throughout the course of the combat and it feels very uh, you know tactical especially as you play through it a bit and you get more cool abilities and fighting styles and gear combos and you start fighting the more crazy monsters and you know like the um, what is it the antelope that's this really this crazy scream so again that's where the whole brain trauma thing comes in and it feels like a lot of these kind of video games where they're like the bosses feel very different you know when you play through like uh, world of warcraft or super mario brothers um you know some of the later ones and different games like that where you play along and then you get to this boss and it's like you got to kind of figure out sort of the uh you know the the path to victory there in the sort of the style of that boss and if the game is brutal enough so you're probably gonna you know lose a, a, a survivor or two but it's really cool i really like the customized ai deck and hit location deck um, and also in terms of like farming up the different uh, creatures that you can do uh, to get the different resources and then kind of upgrade your tribe. That whole kind of like system of encounter, hunt, settlement, the way that all kind of interacts, there's a very interesting kind of dark story element to that as well. But I could see this system really applied to like a Walking Dead kind of universe or zombie or post-apocalypse Mad Max kind of universe or just a civilization game where you start off as a tribe and you go and you go get certain things and, and you put those together and those trigger different story events. It really kind of reminded me a little bit of a game I played recently called Chronicles, which isn't even out. Uh, it's a Rob Davio legacy game. He's Well, he's consulting on it with uh, Artana Games. But they had some kind of these similar elements. I'm like, oh, this kind of reminds me of that. Now, that game's not even out, but it has that kind of legacy kind of quality to it. You're not tearing anything up, but you have the sheet that you kind of build up, and then you can go play it again, obviously. But um, you have these different triggers 
of when things are going to happen. Like, when does your character get in, get this insight into this horrifying thing? And how do they react really to this environment? Do they really try to kumbaya it and really bring it together and hold the faith and all that kind of stuff? Or do they just go bat, you know, crazy? And, you know, then, you know, then the... And that might actually be a good approach, I've found, is to kind of just go, okay, embrace the darkness and jump, you know. So it's a kind of an interesting balancing act. And the way that weaves together, this system I can see kind of transformed a little bit and applied to something probably a little bit more accessible. Uh, so if you can kind of stomach the darkness and you're into the system, then I would, I would highly recommend it. It's a very well put together system, very interesting system, and something I've not really played uh, like that. Um, so yeah, so the other thing about it is, and this is just something I've kind of left with, um, as you play the game, and I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything here, but you can kind of turn it off if you, this, I'm not spoiling anything, really. You fight the Watcher at the end, and then stuff happens, but if you want to turn it off now, I would. But again, I don't feel like I'm spoiling anything because you can just read it in the book. It's not like you're unlocking something in a legacy game. So you fight the Watcher and basically the game will just end either way in darkness. Um, and I've not gone through everything yet, but I feel like there's almost like no point to the story. I kind of feel like that is the point though because you like wake up in darkness. And in my mind, I'm kind of like, okay, well, where are you? Like, you know, did you get captured? You know, or where, you know, what's going on? And it's, it's not, you're just like in this black world of horrifying things and you're pulling together and you're sort of like, you're barely human, which is interesting because it's like, okay, what are, where, you kind of question like where the beginning of your humanity starts and stops. He kind of puts you in that mindset anyway, because like the first thing you do is develop language when you get a settlement and figure out what happens when somebody dies. Do you eat them, you know, or do you, you know, build a grave for them? And what do you do when your newborn is, is, is birth? Do you take care of them or kind of let them fend for themselves? And you encounter maybe different, you know, uh, folks along the way. It has a very kind of uh, Arabian Nights attitude as well with some of that, um, which is kind of interesting that it's bolted into the system very tightly. Um, but at the end of the day, it's like there's a severe amount of bleakness to the game. And uh, if you get into that, it's not really going to be something I think a lot of people are prepared for, uh, I think. Uh, because, and getting back to the kind of whole juvenileness of it, I don't find it juvenile. There's a couple of mistakes, I think. Uh, very minor mistakes in certain areas that I think, okay, they could have done this better you know, here, here, and here, that's a little silly. But, you know, maybe it's a kind of a nice thing to like lighten it up a little bit with a little bit of just, you know, basic humor that, uh, you know, makes people just kind of like, <laughs> you know, relax, it's just a game kind of thing, you know. So it's, maybe it does need that. Um, but I find it interesting to put the players in the situation and really just kind of create the settlement, create some characters, get a little bit attached to them, lose them, you know, figure out kind of where your kind of general morality is within the settlement. Um, that's interesting, but that is certainly not going to be for everybody. Um, and this is, that's a world that you've got to know that you're stepping into with this. Um, so there's a lot of great elements about this game. This is definitely one of the most interesting games that I've played and probably one of my most favorite games in a way. Um, the darkness of it pushes me away a little bit of it because it's not something I want to go, hey, everybody, let's play Kingdom Death. You know, that's that's cool. But I, I'm glad that it exists. Like, I'm 100% glad this exists because I think 
this is an interesting way for the medium to be explored. There's something about kind of that sitting around the table, you know, kind of telling the stories and seeing how this kind of thing evolves and putting yourself kind of empathetically in a position of this, you know, horrificness. Um, but that's cool that it does that because in a certain way, you have like these um, horror games that don't usually feel that horrific to me. Um, you know, Elder Chore, Betray at House on the Hill. They always come off a little bit funny or silly, and that's fine. I think that's kind of what horror really ends up being as you as you get older. You know, like watching Freddy at Nightmare on Elm Street when I'm, I don't know, was I eight, something like that. You know, that was some scary business. But you know, as I'm older, I'm like, look how dumb this is. <laughs> you know, and that, and if I see horror stuff now, you know, all the new horrors always seems like it's all the same to me. But I kind of get look at it sillyly, and I can look at this in a very silly way as well because that's you know, it's games as well. But it's also interesting to kind of take you there and take you to a certain point of, of thinking and really kind of go, wow, okay, this is this is a place I don't expect to go um, when I'm gaming. And it, to me, it lends itself to that horror end of it. It really puts the horror, that side of it onto you. And I don't really know that I've ever played a game and felt like a chill, you know, from like, ooh, that's creepy. You know, that's, ooh, that's kind of icky. Um, this one for sure, uh, has had that. And I, I felt, that, honestly, I felt that a little bit in some parts of Eldritch Horror. There's a couple of the cards. Uh, that's a little bit just more random, and it's just kind of random stuff that, like, maybe strikes me in a way and affects me in a certain way that it wouldn't affect you, you know, because just maybe your DNA or your life experience. Um, this one, I think, will have an effect on everybody that plays it, I would expect, because it really puts you in the role of making some real difficult choices. Um, and being witness to some really nasty things. Um, you know, I didn't show you most of the art. I'm sure I showed you something really grotesque in the book or, you know, there's some nudity in the game as well. Um, so I'm 100% glad it exists. I think it's an excellent game. It's a great game. You know, it's fun to play. The mechanics are really enjoyable. They're satisfying. Um, but again, it's also the price point of 400 bucks. Oh, and now I'm gonna make the video go really long because several people asked me to compare this to Shadow of Brimstone. Okay, so you saw the video now if you haven't played that, but I'm gonna go long again. Uh, so, comparison to Shadow of Brimstone, they do have a lot in common, actually. Because as you can see, you kind of roll off on tables. You know, in Shadow of Brimstone, you might carry enough Darkstone to get corrupted. And then if you have a certain amount, you might get some extra corruption and then grow like a tail or grow a third arm or something or third eye. And, you know, crazy stuff's going to happen to you that way. And when you go to town and visit the doctor, you might roll and then break your collarbone because the doctor's a dummy. You know, <laughs> there's some random stuff like that's going to happen. And this kind of has a similar feel. Uh, feels maybe slightly a little bit more grounded in some ways, but again, some of the silliness kind of takes you out of it. You know, there are sort of like shortcuts in this game, like, okay, you die if you roll that number. You know, it's like, well, that didn't really take a lot of thought, but Brimstone has the same kind of stuff. Um, Brimstone is a little different because it's kind of like you can play that one forever, but it does kind of have an end game for each of your characters as well. You play that guy till level eight, there's a chance that they will die, but it's not that high. Um, and that once you play to level eight, well, I believe they're going to raise the level cap in Brimstone to, I don't remember, is it 10 or 12 or 15? In the fall or, or winter when they come out with an expansion. But you play until that character gets that level and you can stay at that level and keep playing or you can just retire the character and roll up a new character. And you kind of build a world. 
you know, in the process of playing that game. It's a very loose world though, but it also, the freedom of it's pretty nice. I like that about it. I like that it's a little bit more, you know, it's, it's a Wild West theme, so it kind of goes with that as well. So you can kind of just go, hey, let's walk in this cave and see what happens. And you roll on the table and you're like, okay, we're playing this encounter and we're doing this and this is what we came across. And, you know, it kind of has like a little bit of a, a built-in AI, you know, engine for you. Now, this is a little bit more strict and narrow because it's got like, you know, you're, you're definitely going to hit some of these encounters, uh, but you are going to go off in different paths. You can play this again. Uh, so there is a comparison to that because you're going to lose your characters. You're going to die. So you're not going to necessarily be um, as attached to the characters, but you are going to be attached to your settlement there. Um, I will say that let's compare the combat. Right now, for me, the combat in this is a little bit more interesting. I wouldn't say a lot more interesting. I've talked a lot about the combat already in the review. Now in Brimstone, it's kind of a dice chucking fest. I don't mind that because once you start leveling up your character, it gets pretty interesting. And I don't have any of the new like wave 1.5, wave 2 stuff, which looks like it improves the combat. You, you know, you can have like town combat and stuff too now. So I would say I would give a nod to combat in this game because it's just so configurable and just, and it's also from a point of view of, I may lose some of you here, but if you think of like an EverQuest or D&D style game where there's classes and they have specific abilities and ability trees, that's Shadows of Brimstone. If you think of like Ultima Online or Elder Scrolls or that kind of game where you kind of just level up by doing a certain thing and you know, you, you're not really a class per se, you're not a fighter, rogue, or cleric, you just kind of you get some skills and it might be different combinations of skills that make up your kind of unique character. Uh, that's what this game is. And I really like that. That's really cool and very hard to pull off. And again, some of that's going to be kind of random stuff that happens to you, but it's also going to be kind of how you deck out your character. It's going to be very gear driven uh, as well. So there's that aspect as well. Um, they both have these cool kind of like, I don't know, we call them like town phases, you know, kind of like in Warhammer Quest where you go off to town or settlement and you get new gear and you buy new gear and you sell new gear and brimstone and you know all that kind of stuff um i don't know i can that's kind of an even keel for me it's a different there's they're really different i mean brimstone feels like you're visiting a you know an old western town there's several shops and you might have these somebody might try to rob you or whatever and uh, you know demon might show up um but this one is a little bit more on the rails again, um, but it seems like it's very strategic in this way um, because you can kind of sometimes events will happen where you add more events later to your timeline. You're okay, I know this is coming up. So if we send this guy and do this guy, keep this guy back, you know, and then do this other guy, we know that he's going to end up doing this. And then, you know, likelihood of that, if he, if he survives the encounter, first of all, you know, so if, if he survives, then, you know, we can count on him being here for this to happen, you know, when the knight returns or, or the witch shows up, uh, you know, stuff like that. You can, you can kind of plan. So that's kind of crunchy stuff too. That's kind of neat. Um, yeah, so it's a little bit of a tie there. Um, I guess they both kind of have a traveling phase too, because this has the hunt deck and the hunt track that you go on. And uh, Brimstone has, I haven't, don't have the new town stuff, so I don't know if anything happens when you go from like, you know, the mines and the different other worlds back to town. On the, the game that I have, you just kind of roll on a table and stuff happens to you. Um, I don't know if they've updated that. Um, 
yeah, I mean, it's kind of random here. You just kind of deal out a deck of cards as, too, as well on the hunt phase. Um, but it's a little bit more, I don't know, I give a split because, you know, the stuff in Brimstone that's going to happen to you is pretty thematic because you can get like stagecoaches and horses and stuff that will help you with things. Um, and in this, you kind of just, it's, it's targeted somewhat towards, uh, you know, the specific thing that you're hunting possibly. And there, there is some randomness on top of that. But um, yeah. Uh, you know, miniature-wise, <laughs> like I said, Rimstone kind of broke me. Um, so I had Ben, uh, Ben's friend actually put them together and he painted them. Um, and uh, miniature quality, I don't know. I'm not a real big, you know, I'm going to have to kind of take a pass on that one because I'm not a miniatures expert. I don't know enough about the different materials and stuff. They're both on sprues. you got to put them both together. So if you're not ready to do that or don't have a buddy to do that, then obviously pass on both games. But I will say the miniatures here are a little bit, well, probably a lot more detailed than Brimstone and maybe even, you know, games like Blood Rage and Fantasy Flight games. But again, you got to put them together. They're very intricate to put together. You don't quite as get as many. I mean, for Brimstone, you can spend 150 bucks and get both base sets, and you can spend probably another 150 bucks and get like all the expansions that are currently out now. And you're sitting around 300 bucks or so, and this you'll get. You spend a little bit more money, around 400 bucks, I think, and you get all this stuff. Um, so you get a lot more plastic in Brimstone, but you know, kind of, it's not. You know, there's a certain amount of intimacy level, I guess, with this, because you're, you're kind of customizing and building your own characters and your own models, which is kind of interesting because you spend all this time, you know, possibly building your own characters and, and, and heroes, but then they all just die. So, like, if you just built a hero, like, oh, this is just like my guy, you know, he's got he's got the, the helmet, he's got the special sword I like, and, you know, he's, he's got this and that. Oh, and the next time I play him, he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> your model's not worthless. You can just use them and say, okay, this guy looks close enough to this guy and use it. But I don't know. It's just kind of funny. It doesn't really matter because I just pick one that looks, oh, he's pretty close to what my gear looks like. Boom, put that on the thing and uh, go. But uh, it's kind of funny that you spend all that time painting, assembling. He's dead. <laughs> okay, so I think that's a fair enough explanation. Feel free to drop any extra questions you got. Apologize for the length, but this game definitely worth reviewing at length. And it is worth probably chipping in money, I would say, and getting it as a group. Because 400 bucks is a ton to spend on a, on a game. But I would definitely, uh, you know, if you had four of you that wanted to play, everybody puts in 100 bucks or whatever, and, and then you can share it and play through it. And, you know, everybody can assemble the miniatures possibly. I mean, that's a good approach, I think, because it's a very sort of collective, intimate kind of experience, I think, to a degree. So that's it. Thank you.